how you use them. T-minus three, two, one, zero, and liftoff. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the BizTalk podcast. We have a great lineup today. We hope to leave you better than we found you with information that you can apply to your life, your career. Whether you are building a t-shirt company in Berlin or you're trying to build a tech company here in the United States, we believe that we've got stuff that's gonna help you get there faster and get there better. Today, we're gonna to talk about some market stats, specifically the stock market. Why is the stock market up if all these other economic indicators, like here in the US, it says are down? What's up with that? Why do people, some people say recession, no recession here in the US, and yet people in Europe are saying, nope, we're entering it right now. What's up with that? We're gonna cover a little bit of that, but more importantly, I am very much excited to do. You remember the BizDoc case studies. Well, I did a case study on Odoo. Love it, love the software, love what they're doing. All under one package, very innovative stuff. We have got the founder and CEO, Fabian Pincares, who's gonna be here with us talking about things that you can apply to your business because he's gonna, I'm gonna ask him, the road he walked on. I'm gonna ask him some things that he did right and where trouble happened so he can share them with you. He's an amazingly open guy. And then lastly, we're gonna dive into, at the end, the fate of CNN. A uh, thing called the Allen Conference is coming up where all the media people go up to, with Allen and company, and they go to Sun Valley, Idaho, I believe it is, and they get together for several days and deals happen. I think CNN, it's gonna have an announcement coming out of the Allen & Company conference. So first, hello, Kellyanne, how are you doing? Hi, I'm good, how are you? Yep, we think Kai, young Kai, is still in Norwegia, which is our joke for where Nor Norwegians <laughs> live. He's out there, is, um, I think his sister graduated and he went there to stand with the family and see that. It's very exciting. So, Send good thoughts to Kai and what he's doing there, uh, being with his family at a, at a great milestone event, his sister graduating. Big accomplishment for her. So, hey, Kai, if you're watching, hope you're having a great trip. We miss you. Yep. So, <clears throat> let's start here really, really quick. Why is the stock market in the United States up? Well, because something must be going up. Yeah, but there's this thing called the S&P 500. We all know what that is. You've got the Dow Jones Industrial Average, you've got the S&P 500, and you've got the NASDAQ 100. NASDAQ is really heavily tech-weighted. But also, when you look at the S&P, you also uh, take a look at performance of things that are uniquely tech. And I have a chart that I want to show you, because in the middle of all this, you know, you're hearing about housing prices flat in the United States, inflation still over 4%. Uh, you're hearing about 14 consecutive times a government announcement is that they've beaten the guidance on unemployment. Yeah, that's because they keep making announcements and then adjusting it down behind our backs. You can Google this. You can go search for this. It is so true. The U.S. government is manipulating labor stats to make it look like they're beating 14 in a row. Uh, we've had good change in unemployment, but it's not back to where it needs to be. And there's a lot of layoffs and things going on, and it complicates. So you got all these interest rates, mortgages, you know, the home, home market. What's going on with all that? It seems down. You know, layoffs are certainly down if you're the one being laid off. And then we got the stock market up. What's going on? Let's pop that chart back up here. The S&P 500, 
of the pump that has happened in the S&P 500 since January, look at this, is seven stocks. Microsoft, Meta, Facebook, Amazon, NVIDIA, Google, Apple, and Tesla. Remember last year they were talking about Fanga, you know, which was Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google, and Apple, Fanga. And now they're the, um, one of those is out, Netflix has had a little bit of a tougher year, and Tesla is in. So they're just calling it the Magnificent Seven. But take a look at the blue line. 493 companies in the S&P 500 flat. That's in line with layoffs. That's in line with inflation. That's in line with unemployment. That's in line with the tough things that we're hearing on interest rates and the U.S. market. But these seven stocks have run like a freight train. I, you know, and I'll tell you, I'll be very open. I loaded up on some Tesla at 109 at the beginning of the year, loaded up, and now it's 250. So I had a good, I've, I've had, had a pretty good time on that over the spring, and now we're about uh, five days into summer now. Summer started on the 21st, and we are sitting here at the end of June. Um, and then, actually, excuse me, we're in July now. This is July 3rd, and tomorrow, 4th of July. So exciting times here in the U.S. But the point is, seven stocks are driving it. So thank you for the notes. Thank you for the questions. That's what's going on. The headline about the stock market is limited to the magnificent seven. The rest of the stock market and the rest of the economy, we are bracing for potentially a Q4, Q1 uh, recession, and Europe is already talking about it. So anyway, I want to touch that first, but now I want to get into really what I want to do today, and we want to talk to the founder of Odoo. Because speaking of recession in Europe and European companies, here's a European company <clears throat> that I dare say, maybe if you look at the tech companies in Europe, maybe you call... Odoo, one of the Magnificent Seven. What I do know is what Odoo is doing, and there's Fabian standing out in front of the logo, out in front of their office. Um, his story is truly amazing and really wonderful. And so I'd like to introduce here the CEO and founder of Odoo, Fabian Pinkers. Hey, Fabian, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I am doing great. You know, I don't know if you saw, but uh, two years ago, I did the case study on Odoo. I, li I do these 15-minute case studies on, on companies, and we like to play a clip from that because I think you're going to like it because I tipped the hat to something that you've put on your website that I wish more uh, entrepreneurs would. Can you pop that? We have a little timestamp. Here we go. Ready for computer audio, and I'm playing. It's been 16 years of hard work, sweat, and toil getting there. And go to the website and read the little diary that was put together by Fabian himself. He takes you through the diary and the story of Odoo. It's a great read for those of you who are entrepreneurs, where they run a t-shirt company in Berlin or a technology company in California. It's a great read. And during part of it, he says, I almost ended up homeless thanks to some bad luck with the, the investor and some bad luck with the market. I already had the dog, so being homeless, I had the dog, so I was almost on my way. There's some of this that it's very tongue-in-cheek, but very funny. Go check it out. Which takes me... Yep. Yeah, you were spot on. At the, I really love this this video. You were spot on. Uh, great, great show. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate doing it. And so, what's up? What is new on Odoo with Odoo right now? What announcements are you coming up with? Because you're on version what, 14, 15, 16 by now? 
Yeah, we are 16. Um, we decreased to price actually a few months ago. And since that, uh, we went from 1,700 new customers per month to 5,000 new customers per month. Wow. So we, now we grow close to three times faster. And we also did a new uh, investment from General Atlantics recently of uh, 150 millions of euro in a do. That's fantastic. What is your total raise so far? Uh, when I did the uh, case study, I think you were around. So General Atlantics was a secondary, so it's not money for the company. We raised 10 million in total, which is basically nothing for a company which is uh, valued at more than $4 billion now. Fantastic. Hey, I want to show the positioning chart. There's a great positioning chart here that I think you're familiar with. You use it, but let's look at that position. So uh, tell people about why did you decide that this quadrant and this positioning versus Salesforce, versus NetSuite, versus you know, the, the, the large players, why was it important to you that you felt a company was needed at the end of you, at high user-friendly and wide business scope? So we have to choose or better. We cannot win on every uh, thing. So we know that we knew that we couldn't win on marketing. The others have way bigger budget than us. But we choose to win on two things. One is usability, being very simple and efficient. So you can have any business apps uh, in just a few clicks and affordable. And the other one is to be complete, to uh, manage all the business needs of a traditional company. You need a website, you need an accounting software, inventory management. We have all these apps accessible in one click. And we decided to focus only on these two things, not on verticals, not on marketing, not on um, other things. We focused on, we want to cover all the business needs of companies and make it super simple and affordable. And basically there is no, nobody in this market. You have the traditional ERP with tons of features, but that are very expensive and complex to use. In the other hand, you have the single players like uh, MailChimp to send email or Trello or, or uh, they do one thing, they do it well, but they only do one thing. And we are the first one to bring the, the both value together. It was wonderful. Can you show the, um, the chart that shows all the, all the sub functions and everything that are offered by Odoo? So take a look at this, folks. This is what Odoo does. They start with, with um, you know, sales CRM, a typical CRM sales, and also managing subscriptions. They have an Amazon connector pack that's part of that. And then the regular finance, accounting, invoicing, and things like that. And then moving over to company website, as well as inventory and MRP, because finance connects to inventory and MRP. And then, of course, HR, marketing, uh, productivity, and other services such as timesheets and things like that. Okay. So they have built this so a small business can start building their website and then also build the back end ERP. So it's your customer face in terms of website builder with e-commerce on it, if that's where you're selling, including live chat, customer service, and then building all the ERP as well as the CRM. Frequently companies have to buy the ERP, which is basically like a NetSuite or a QuickBooks Plus, so that all those things can be used by finance, operations and things. And then on the other side, you buy a CRM for your salespeople, so you can keep track of your customers and you can, um, uh, have libraries of history CRM of your salespeople talking to your customers. So if the salesperson leaves, you have the diary and everything they've done. And then finally, you usually have a website vendor and an e-commerce partner. Uh, people like to plug in uh, Shopify and things like that. What Odoo said is, let's put it together on one roof and let's give you a single uh, point 
to come connect with to build everything that your small business or mid-sized business would need. And so, um, Fabian, I, um, what would you add to that? I want to make sure that I have uh, presented it correctly. Yeah, you're right. It's the one of the two value we have is to be complete, to cover all the business needs of a company. The other side is all these applications are available for $25 per user per month for all applications. So not just one. Huh? For $25, you get all the applications. And that's the key success factor of Odoo is at the same time, you have all these features and we make them very, very affordable. <clears throat> that's wonderful. So what is brand new right now? What have you recently added to the Odoo stack? Um, we have added uh, Odoo Knowledge, which is a clone of Notion, Knowledge Management System. Basically, we copied all the features, but now we have the value of being fully integrated with the rest. So you have a knowledge management system linked to your CRM or to your website and things like that. And now we are improving our manufacturing execution system. So it's the tablet you have in the shop floor for manufacturing companies where you can manage all the operations of the different machines. These are the two latest additions. That's, that's fantastic. So what most people don't know is that this wasn't your first software company. At age 13, you actually built your first software company. Yeah, it takes time. <laughs> it's, uh, I've done a lot of things and I would say this one worked better than the others. Yep, that's good. Well, tell us a little about at age 13, getting interested in software and doing it. Many of our audience here in the United States internationally, they are entrepreneurs, maybe not as young as you, but they're looking for that first point and they're building their business or they're in a business. And it's always interesting to them to see the path that other entrepreneurs have been on. Why don't you tell us about 13 years old, starting that company, and then the steps that led you to uh, launching Tiny ERP, which became Odoo, correct? Yes. So basically, I'm a, I'm a developer, a software developer, and I love to develop things and be develop useful things. So I develop a lot of different services, uh, e-commerce, antivirus, virus, uh, lots of different tools for different clients, and this ERP software. And at some point, I decided to stop everything I was doing and refocus on, uh, on Odoo. But uh, I, I get to that point of doing a lot of things and have one that gets better than, than the others. That's good. So um, what's interesting is um, a, a lot of times people go through the difficult early stage. What was difficult in the early days, early uh, time of Odoo? And what did you have to personally uh, learn or do to get the company through that? Um, over the past 20 years, I think I've had eight years close to bankruptcy. So the difficulty has always been the cash because we bootstrapped the company. I didn't raise a lot of money. I raised my first uh, round when I, when I was 100 employees. So it's, it, it was very hard to, to develop uh, the software and serve the client at the same time to get the money and so on. So it was all about working hard, uh, long days and surviving. Sometimes we were doing um, projects that were not if, uh, profitable just for, the, just for the cash. But by doing that, we always did it with a vision. We always had this vision of uh, making enterprise management software, business applications affordable and accessible to SMEs. So even though we, we didn't know went straight and we had to do things just because we had to survive, we always um, thought about uh, this vision that we have today, which is uh, fully integrated management software and affordable. Yep. You've mentioned vision a couple times. Is that how you keep your team together 
when you went through times where you're very close to bankruptcy, which is not unusual. So many people that watch the podcast have, have met, talked about during COVID, I almost went bankrupt, but I just hung on. And now after COVID, I thank goodness I am able to go again. How do you keep your folks focused when you're close to bankruptcy and maybe they are getting nervous and want to find a different job? Yes, what's very important for me is to be transparent. You, need, you know, when things go goes wrong, everyone starts to get scared and, and things like that. If you, as a CEO, start to make them believe that everything is right, don't worry, there is no issue. Because we are optimistic. So as entrepreneurs, we, we, we always want to... to um, the team will notice that there is issue. They will notice that you are not well and things like that. And so they won't trust you anymore if you if you bullshit them and don't tell the truth. So what I learned is that it's super important to be transparent, explain what are the difficulties, explain what's the plan. And uh, in the past, when we are we, we were very close to bankruptcy, I even showed them graphs with the, the, the turnover of revenue and the cash of due that was going down and down and down up to a point where we are close to zero. And I was telling them, okay, here is where we are, but here is the plan. Here is what we'll do. It's going to be hard. We'll have to work hard, but we'll do it together and we will make it. And when you are transparent, when I explained that to the employee, even though there was a, there was a very big risk for them, everyone stayed in the company and, and helped us uh, improve. So even though there's a big risk, at that moment, you know who is on the team and shares the vision and the risk is acceptable. Uh, they, 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 you cannot build big things without bigger risk. <laughs> it's uh, they goes they goes together. So what we wanted to do is, is is huge. We grew fast, very fast. So obviously there is risk attached to that. Uh, it's just that um, you need to know where you go. You need to know how to execute. Sometimes you have to do difficult decisions, like uh, letting some people go. Um, but yeah, it's part. It's always very important to always have the big picture and be sure that everyone is aligned on this big picture. Yep. You know, you cannot do big things without risk. That is so true. So in the company, am I correct that you're the founder and CEO, but functionally you're really chief product officer and CTO. Is, is that really where you are? Entrepreneurs yes. come um, from many places. Even today, I spend 50% of my time on the product. Uh, I'm not CTO because we have a great CTO, but I'm working uh, a lot of my time with the product owners and the developers and the CTO. So. If I look at how I spend my time, uh, I don't focus too much about the day to day. So I don't serve clients, I don't sell, I don't do sales, I don't do service, I don't. Uh, I only focus on being sure that the company will have 50, 55% growth within the next three years. Uh, so my goal is to guarantee the long term of a do, not the, not the short term. And uh, in that regard, the product is very important. Uh, the product has always been what pulled us forward. The reason why we grew so much over the past years is the product. So it requires a lot of focus in order to be sure you continue innovating. So I spend, I would say, 50% of my time on the product. That's great. So you know what's interesting? Many CEOs come from product or business development. They understand a market, business development, and they have an idea, and they build the product to go in there. The other half usually are from product. They understand the product. They see opportunity. You saw the need for affordable, complete ERP CRM altogether, and that was your, your product push. Most CEOs start either one of those. When did you realize that you needed to add someone to your team to help you keep certain things off your desk, to do other things so that you could focus 
on product. When in the um, life of Odoo did you realize that and who was that that you hired? Uh, I think it was quite at the beginning, like we had 10 employees. Uh, and one key moment for me was uh, I was working very hard, like seven days a week, maybe 12 hours per day. I, I, I was doing that. I didn't take a single day of holiday uh, of time off uh, over, over the past seven years. So I was working really, really hard. And at some point, my wife said, no, 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 you have to do stop. I want to go on holiday. And she booked holidays in uh, Mongolia because there is no internet in Mongolia. So I, I was forced <laughs> to go there and, and, uh, and, uh, and focus on something else. And when I came back, I realized that the company was working. I mean, without me, everything was still running correctly. Everyone took charge. And, and for me, it has been an, an enlightenment. And since that day, I, uh, if, uh, it's easier for me to, to delegate. So, so you take a holiday with your wife, you come back, the company is working. I thought everything would burn and, <laughs> and everything was fine because everyone took their own responsibility and it changed my way of seeing things since that. You think you come back to smoke and fire and it's all burning, but it's okay. So it proved yes, to you, exactly. that, there you go, that you could stay out of that and then spend 50% of your time on product and then focus on growth, getting the growth, raising capital. You know, that's an important moment for any entrepreneur. That's a great story. Um, even today, so let's be, you talk about being transparent. Let's be transparent today. Are there things today that you, Fabian, still need to maybe let go of, even though Odoo is many years of development now? No, I don't think so. I think I'm quite good at managing my own agenda and choosing my, uh, where I spend my time. And I think I really use my time where it's uh, useful. So I don't think I have an issue here. That's <laughs> so good. I don't answer, but it's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah. when, you, when you started early, did you have a particular mentor or an outside voice that was helpful, maybe an investor? Was there someone like that that you connected to during the early days of Odoo? No, uh, I, I don't have a single person. I, I read a lot. Uh, I used to read two books per week. No, I think I'm closer to to a book about management, product, or psychology, or everything that's useful for the business. No, I think I'm closer to two or three per month. But, uh, so I, I get ideas from a lot of different persons, but there is not one single person that influenced the way I, I, I am. But you're reading two books a week. That's impressive. Yeah, no, I'm closer to three per month, so I decrease my rhythm. Yeah. But I've done that for a lot of time, yes, a lot, several years. What are the three or four books that you thought were very important that you think maybe other entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and leaders should read? Uh, I think I, I really like The Art of Strategy, uh, which is a book about strategy, obviously. Uh, Never Split the Difference, a book about negotiation. And if I have to name one extra, I like the street fighting mathematics. It's a different way of thinking mathematics um, than traditional books. Yep, appreciate it. So what do you wish you had known earlier when you were trying to keep the company from bankruptcy? As you look back to the past, what do you wish you knew earlier? So one of the biggest mistakes I did was the business model. So I started, uh, I'm passionate about open source and I started as a fully open source product because that, that's always what uh, I wanted to do. And I'm still today, uh, what motivates me is to contribute a lot to, to open source. 
And so I started as a fully open source project and I said, I grew a community saying, okay, we are open source, the others that are not totally open source, it's not good, open source is great, but the rest is not good and so on and so on. And then uh, as we grew, uh, we get to a point where uh, an open source business model didn't work. I couldn't sustain the R&D cost and marketing cost with uh, a product that was basically free and just selling support and maintenance on top of it. So I had to do a pivot on the business model and switch to what we call an open core business model where 80% is open source and 20% is for a fee. And um, that has been the best decision of my life. Uh, it changed everything since we did that, no more cash issues and things like that, because now we could sell features and we didn't have customers who were churning. They were still using the product but churning because they didn't need support. But uh, because I didn't build the company and the community on this idea at the beginning, uh, the community felt betrayed and so we've had a lot of bad marketing and, and so I believe the biggest mistakes I've done is not to, to announce to the community that we will we are open source today but in the future we will do a little bit of proprietary software in order to sustain the open source development because it allows us to pay more developers rather than saying we will always be 100% open source I didn't know that at the time but uh, I think if I would have known I would have saved maybe one year to the development of the company and you could have saved a year there yeah. Interesting. Anyway, what else would you, I always give the last question back to you. You know, um, what do you want to share with the entrepreneurs that would either help them, um, encourage them, um, because you're not even 40 years old yet, you've been able to walk this path and you have so much experience that, that normally comes later. And it probably comes from the fact that you started your first company when you were 13, which led to Tiny ERP, which led to Odoo. What would you share in general for entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs around the world who are walking the same journey? What would you share? I think my number one advice today would be you have to try Odoo. <laughs> and I'm not trying to sell the software here. I really do believe that if I have had the software we have today, at the beginning of my journey, I would have saved a lot of money and time and so on, building up all our IT infrastructure. Um, I, I, I lost so much money because I didn't like to send follow-up to, the, to, the, to my clients. It was administrative and I'm very bad at doing administrative tasks. I was not reinvoicing expenses or anything like that. If I would have had a do at the time, I think I would have saved a lot of money and a lot of time. So I really recommend people to have a look at it because it's a game changer. There you go. Well, it's about Odoo, but it's about having tools that can help you with these things and save yourself a lot of time. So, you know, yes. marketing automation, ERP, it's never too early to get good tools in place. Yes, exactly. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, when do you get to the U.S.? When, uh, what conferences and things do you come to in the U.S.? If people ever wanted to connect with you, where would they see you? Um, no, I'm in India for one year, so I don't plan to go to the U.S. soon. Wow. Uh, we have a lot of people in the U.S., though. Uh, we have 700 employees there, I think. Um, but I'm, I'm, my challenge today is to develop the Indian company. Oh, good. Well, if you're ever in Miami, we are in South Florida and Miami. If you're ever down here, please let us know. We would love to do just a quick live follow-up because your story and what you've done with Odoo, this is what people dream of doing. And they may not be in technology, they can be in housing construction, they can be in so many different businesses, but they're always looking for entrepreneurs that have been successful and what did they learn? What did they do? 
how did they get there, mistakes they made. Your advice at being transparent, Fabian, is fantastic. It was wonderful. I thank you so much for uh, making some time to be here with us. And so I give the last word to you. Thank you for inviting me and uh, really love the show. So continue like that. Thank you so much. We will see you soon. Bye. Bye. Wow. What did you think of that? He's, uh, like you said, his story is very uh, inspiring for other entrepreneurs. That's what every entrepreneur dreams of. So it's nice to see someone that works that hard, that is successful, that's been through the ups and downs. And I think that's really encouraging and valuable information for other business people. And I think the most powerful thing that Fabian, the founder of Odoo, said was this. Be transparent when there's a crisis. He built charts, put them up on the screen, brought everybody together. This is the cash we have. This is where it's going. This is what the risk is. I'm trying to raise more capital. I'm trying to do this. But I want to be honest with you about where the company could be going. He was honest with that, and there were people that, are, that believed in the vision for the product and appreciated him being transparent as a CEO, and they stayed. There were other people that said, this is too much risk for me. I will find a different job. But the ones that bought into the vision and understood the risk, how can you not appreciate the leader and then have more faith and more trust? And, and, and see the integrity of the leader saying, this wasn't going to be easy, folks. This is the journey. Here's the cash. I'm trying to raise more. The product is good. We're getting customers. Are you in? This is what you're buying into. I think that was just powerful. Very, that. very powerful. His other comment about um, <clears throat> get tools soon. In other words, Fabian also talked about an important lesson. Get tools in place early. You can work 12 hours a day, but there's marketing automation tools for social media to automate your cheats. There are, um, there are is accounting tools that are out there. There's CRM, like Odoo. And he said, don't wait to get the tools in place. If you're automating systems now, you can actually make money go further early on. You have to select the systems that are not overly expensive, but that sometimes will help you turn one person who's doing your accounting into one and a half people because you have tools to help you. So get the tools in place early. I thought it was also a really, really great learning. And if you haven't checked out Odoo, this is not an endorsement of one over the other. Go watch the case study I did it. Go check it out and see maybe, maybe that fits for you. Maybe that works for your business. But um, really appreciate Fabian uh, you know, being here and going through all that. Yeah. The, um, so now, there's something very interesting going on. Um, I don't know if people know about the Allen & Company Conference. Let's see if we can, um, media company go to the Allen & Company Conference uh, every, every year. Here's a couple guys you might know um, visiting the Allen Conference. There's, uh, you know, um, it's really kind of funny. This is Roger Goodell in the kind of the lavender sweater who's with the NFL, kind of a big guy. <laughs> and this is Adam Silver, who's um, head of the NBA, who's kind of a tall, skinny guy. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's kind of funny that the leaders of the, uh, the sports uh, you know, in America are um, you know, almost a mirror of the kind of people <laughs> that play those sports. But yeah. um, Allen & Company gets everybody together once a year. The media companies come together. And when they come together for that conference, 
sometimes deals get made because Allen and Company obviously wants to be an advisor, wants to be part of that, you know, but they also want to facilitate getting people together. That was something also a lesson here that Patrick Bet David did in the life of PHP. They did, he did an annual business meeting where he brought all of his partners together. There's a lot of life insurance companies that normally would compete with each other in the same room. Now, they don't talk pricing, they don't talk product, but they talk about the industry and they talk about how to make it better. And then Pat was sharing his vision on how he wanted to sell more, expand more, drive more, go more, get more, do more. Um, and up and to the right. And if you know Patrick, when he says up and to the right, he's the guy leading the charge. And he's, <laughs> you don't have to wait for the graph to go up. He's going to be at the top of it with a rope pulling the whole company behind him and setting the track. You can do the same thing. So before I get into CNN and Allen & Company, go look at the Allen & Company conference and say to yourself, could I do something similar for my business? Could I bring a few partners together, even if it's just dinner and a two-hour meeting after dinner? These are things that set you apart from competition. <clears throat> Patrick did it with PHP, annual business meeting. Allen & Company has been doing it for a while with media and big brands connected to media. So you just saw the, um, uh, the two sports leagues that were there. Well, Allen Company Conference is about to start. <clears throat> it's coming up in just a couple weeks. And you're going to have all these heavyweights, heavyweights coming there. And by the way, everybody that says that they're woke and they're green, taking private jets to the middle of nowhere in <laughs> Idaho, leaving a hell of a carbon footprint to get there. But nonetheless, yeah. once they're there, they're going to be talking about these. And one of the guys is going to be here Look at this too cool guy right here. Let's go take a look at him. Uh, this is, uh, yeah, this is, they call him Zaz. But this is David Zaslov, who is the um, CEO of uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. And they have had what could only be described as the year from hell with one of their, uh, one of their properties, CNN. And I believe, and I'm going to set the forecast here. We're living in a time where people are forecasting what's up with the Fed. People are forecasting what's up with, you know, with interest rates. How does that affect housing? Blah, blah, blah. Well, <clears throat> guess what? He's going to be there, and I think that they are trying to do a deal to move CNN, and I think it's going to be to CBS, and let me tell you why. You know, if you look at the, at the lineup, at the properties, that, let's start with NBC. NBC is NBC. They have MSNBC and CNBC. They're set. They've got cable channels, a business-oriented channel, and, of course, the mothership. They're set. They don't, they don't need that. You look at ABC. ABC, you know, they got these things going on with Disney. They got a lot of stuff going on, and they're trying to figure things out. So I think Disney, ABC, ESPN got their hand full. And frankly, you know, ESPN's been bleeding subscribers, and now they've been bleeding talent. Um, but here you have CBS that really doesn't have, you know, additional plays in what would be the OTT or what you and I might call cable space. CNN under CBS as a, um, a rejuvenated play, I think makes a lot of sense. So I think you're going to see it. And if you enjoy watching, you know, the markets and things like this, as I do, I think this is, is very possible. Now, what lesson is in here for us? There's two lessons I want to talk about. The first lesson is, number one, they let things get out of hand at CNN too quickly, way too quickly. Chris Lick was trying to do certain things, and then they had the Trump 
you know, debate which split the staff and the opinion, everything happened. They let it go too on. Now, I think, as I've said, they were too hard on Chris Lick, and I think he was in a terrible position. He walks in when they've got the Don Lemon thing, the Chris Como thing. Chris, you're out. Don Lemon, okay, you're on the penalty box. We're going we're gonna to get you some sensitivity training. Remember when he said those things about women over 40? Oh, my gosh. So Chris Licht isn't even there that long, and all that stuff happened, and we know what happened, and ultimately Chris Licht left. And he let a magazine, The Atlantic, do this big story on him where he said too much, and they put it in print. So there were some missteps, but it was also kind of a thankless job. Oh, yeah, and they were canceling CNN Plus as he walked in the door. <laughs> so I think CBS could be an opportunity for a fresh start for CNN to do something with it. But nonetheless, I think something's there. There's also rumors that Jeff Zuckerberg wants to get together with uh, private equity, because remember, Jeff Zuckerberg got fired, went to private equity. He's a media expert, really good. Um, has his time passed? Has he really gone three chapters deeper than really is necessary in terms of new vision for the company? Don't know. But he's got private equity money, wants to come in and, and see if he can do that. But I think that um, the Allen Company Conference is going to be very interesting because there's a lot that's going on in media in the United States, and we are about to see a consolidation just like we saw on mobile phones. Do you remember when there was Verizon and AT&T and Nextel and Virgin Mobile and Boost Mobile, Sprint, Singular? That was a set not too long ago. And then AT&T got together with Singular, made one big family. You know, uh, Verizon, I think, uh, picked up one of them. Did Verizon pick up Virgin? I don't remember. Um, but um, Sprint picked up Nextel. Then T-Mobile picked up Sprint. I think you're about to see the same thing going on in terms of consolidation in media. Now then, I had a question come in <clears throat> about um, real estate. And they said, hey, you know, what do you really think is up in real estate right now? I'm going to separate this into, for this week, last topic I'm going to cover here, then I'm going to get to one of your questions, is commercial real estate on one side, residential real estate on the other. Residential real estate, interest rates are high so that if your mom and dad are going to move to Florida and get a little house down there, they're probably not going to sell the house in Bedford, you know, up in the Northeast. Why? They could Airbnb it, or they could lease it out, and they've got a 3% mortgage. And the mortgage isn't that big, so why not keep it? Because prices are, are coming down a little bit, but they're not crashing. Well, the reason this is the supply is low is because your mom and dad and millions of people like them don't want to sell their house. So there's no supply. If there's no supply, you know, it, the prices stay high. The other side of it is the demand. There's not a lot of people wanting to buy a house at a 7% mortgage right now. Uh, can we Google that? Um, today's, today's mortgage rates. And there should be a Google uh, page that comes up where they summarize everything very, very nicely. So you've got buyers don't want to buy at the high, and they don't want the price associated with the 7% mortgage. Or put another way, they can't get approved for the house they want for that. Yeah, take a look at this. Let's change the loan amount to half a million dollars. Boom. And let's go to uh, California. Six, 
7.5%. So we're up close to eight. Now go back to, uh, now go back to Florida and then let's drop the credit score down to under 700, just under 700. Ladies and gentlemen, 8% mortgage. By the way, that's not a terrible credit score. 680 to 699 is what you would call solid. It's not exceptional. 700s is what you need. And if you manage to get to 800, that's amazing. But with $1 trillion in credit card debt right now, people can't afford to buy a house. So people can't afford to buy a house. People don't want to sell their house. They'd rather Airbnb it or lease it. Means the supply, supply is down and demand is down. So on the residential market, I believe, you know, the, the Fed is saying it's probably going to be two years to the end of 25 till we have um, federal interest rates back down to three. And they're probably looking to raise in July because there's been some statistics out that say that the economy is still a little too hot and there's still a little too much inflation and things are tough. So there you have it, folks. Um, that's why I believe for the next two years, certain parts of the housing market may shift. But most markets, I think, are just going to be there's a new status quo on the number of houses that are selling and <clears throat> prices are not going to drop through the floorboards. What this does open the door to is home builders to build more homes because cities are going to be more willing to give zoning permits for a builder to build another 30 homes on a piece, new piece of land. And they're going to be farther from downtown, so it's farther commute. But that increases the supply of housing that helps it. Home builders now are building at a time when what they're going to be selling is higher priced and the interest rates are up. So the home builder usually discounts the interest rate a little bit to help people to get in. If the interest rates are eight and they could give you an interest rate of six, that's going to be maybe helpful to a first time home buyer that gets some assistance from the home builders. So you are going to get a little relief in the market as the home brothers like Lanier and Toll Brothers are out there. That's why with the home market being kind of kind of futzed up, take a look at this. Let's look at the Lanier stock price. See if we can find that Lanier stock price. And that's a home builder. Let's go take a look at their stock price over the last six months. And what you're about to see here, as Kellyanne goes to get that, and I didn't give her notice ahead of time, so give her a second, is you're going to see what's going on. That actually, even though the, yeah, and let's go to, um, let's go to uh, six months there, 6M, um, and take a look. Wow, Lanier has gone up since the beginning of the year. What's going on? People think that the stock's going to do okay because with 7%, 8% interest rates and high home prices, there's room in there for home builders to build more homes and make a profit. And the cities are going to be more willing, hey, could I have a building permit to go to the edge of city and counties and build a small neighborhood of 20 homes? And the cities are saying, yes, we need more affordable homes. Housing, and if you're going to be a little bit far from downtown, you're going to be building it out there at a more moderated price. So as long as the uh, materials, the inflation on materials, lumber, copper, um, you know, concrete, drywall, core building materials, as long as those are not out of whack, the home builders are going to be able to make money and add to the supply. But it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while to build it. But right now is the time to do it so they could actually get you know, a small amount of homes and new areas built before the fall winter. And if you're building in Texas and in uh, Florida, you can build all year. So 
that's what I see in the, going on in the home market. And, and so thank you for asking. I think if you are a buyer, stay put. If you have a home and you want to step up, now's not the time to do it. If you have to move from one area to another and you're in debt, you've got things, you got to sell it. But if your job is moving, you say, from Atlanta to Florida, maybe figure out if you can lease in Florida and Airbnb or lease that house back in Atlanta because rents are also coming down a bit, but they're still at a historically elevated rate. So you could probably make insurance payment and property tax and pool man and gardener. That's what you got to make. To rent a house, you got to cover your payment, your property tax, your home insurance, your pool man, and your gardener. So the basics, <laughs> you see what I mean? It's not just the payment. And if you have a 2% mortgage at a reasonable rate, and now that adds up to three grand, and you can uh, rent it for 3,500 or four grand, that's positive cash flow each month, and you don't have to go through selling the house, at least not today. So that's the housing market. And Let's see, we had a, do we have a question? We do, we have one that we get asked a lot actually. Um, I wanna start a company and I have an idea. Can I submit it to you? Okay, <clears throat> great question. If you have a company and you have an idea and you're looking for financing, you know, I, I really don't do seed financing and Value Team and Investment Group doesn't do feed, seed financing. But here's what we do. Uh, you can find me on Minect, M-I-N-N-E-C-T, Minect. Got a minute? Let's connect. There we go. Where you can connect with experts. You can find me on there and I will ask a question and give you a, you ask a question, I'll give you a text answer. You can ask me a question, ask for a video answer. I can give you a much longer answer and then also give you some links that might be helpful to you. I can answer it that way. Or we can find time to talk one-on-one. -on -one. But people are sending me business ideas all the time. And I give you an answer about what I think about the sector or about where you're going or your approach. I can give you a fast answer to that. And if you want to, instead of asking me a text to text question, ask me a text to video question. I can give you a three minute video. I talk pretty fast and I can add some links there that might help it. But if you're looking to start a business right now, you can submit it to me that way. But I like to invest after you and your money have gotten to first base and you've proved that your idea is off the ground and you got a couple people with you. It doesn't take a million dollars to do that. It does mean you need to save so that you're prepared to have some money to start the business to sustain yourself. And by the way, live with a friend in an apartment. Rent a townhouse with two college buddies and you don't have families yet. Do everything you can to conserve. Save the money, use your own money to start it because every investor is gonna look at you and say, do you have skin in the game? Yes, I did. I managed to save $50,000 over four years. I lived with two friends uh, from college, conserved, 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 and that's my money, my blood, my sweat, and my tears that launched the business. And most investors, including the BizDoc, are gonna say, well done. Tell me about your traction. Tell me how far you got. That's when you can get investors interested. If you're starting from zero and it's a common business like a dry cleaner in town, talk to your bank about SBA loans. Those are designed for that. For known businesses that have a predicted um, uh, success rate, you know, you're buying a small deli from someone else. You're opening a dry cleaner in an area of town where Lanier just built some new homes. You know, those things are 
current businesses and known markets and the SBA and your local bank, you know, might be more receptive, especially if you're buying an existing business from someone else. Remember, that's also a path. A person retiring that had two dry cleaners and you buy them from them and you maybe add a third, lift it up, that's how a lot of entrepreneurs get started. Those are old school, you know, old school, but it still gives you the opportunity to run something entrepreneurially. And who knows, maybe you build that up, start making cash flow, hire a general manager, and you use that money to start something that's been on your heart and your dream for other things. But you'll learn a lot in that way. So compound answer there with a lot of angles to it, but I wanted to make sure that I covered them. So um, what do we got? Do we have time for one more question maybe? Yeah. All right. We got five minutes. We got time for a question. Okay. Let me take a look here. What advice would you give um, someone that's looking for a mentor or like what, what questions should they be asking their, their mentor when they first get started? You know what? That is great. So. What advice would I give to someone who's looking for a mentor? What questions should I be answering them? Well, first of all, you want to find a mentor who's a couple steps down in life from you. You know, if you want to find someone that and ask about being a good father or being a good mom, you know, how old are their kids? 15, 10, 12? Are they well-behaved? <clears throat> are they doing reasonable in school, public school, private school? They don't have to be up here socioeconomically. Just objectively look at that. Wow, what well-behaved kids seems to be together. That's a person to ask. Similarly, for business, finding someone a little bit further than you that's had some success in business. And a great way you can um, you know, find those mentors, as I've said, go to angel or organizations that have angel investors getting together. But what I like to ask is a simple question. What am I not asking? What am I maybe not seeing? What is a person in my uh, situation, my job, my life, my life stage, what are the blind spots that I usually have? And someone who's been along there can ask you questions to help filter down. The other way is to go completely prepared into with a mentor and to break everything and do, how do I do this? How do I do that? And it's like, hey, just hired a sales guy, only lasted four months, had to let him go. Obviously, how do I hire a sales guy and a sales person, man, woman, whatever, how do I hire a, a sales leader and give myself the highest percent of success? I just, you know, missed out on one and they're here, they're gone. And I waste of time messing with my salespeople. This is horrible. How do I hire a sales leader? So break it into how do I and always ask, what else am I not asking? And that's how I usually encourage people to manage with mentors. Find somebody above you, bring how do I questions, and then always ask, and a person in my position, what am I not asking? What might I not be seeing? And let them interview you. How's this going? How's that going? How's this going? How's that going? All of a sudden, boom, like going to doctor for a checkup. All of a sudden, now that you mention it, my lower back is a little bit sore, you know, from time to time. And now you find out you have a bulging disc or something dissolving. So it's um, help the mentor be the best doctor for you. Um, you're not there to impress them. You're there to learn. So those are the advice I would give for that. And if you want to get advice, I think we have here, let's get the vault ready. 
Coming up, a great place to get advice and education and information for your business is once a year, and it's coming up soon, is the Vault Conference. And the 2023 Vault Conference is going to be down in Hollywood, Florida, which is on the beach at the Diplomat Hotel around the corner from Fort Lauderdale Airport. So wherever you are in the U.S., fly to Fort Lauderdale Airport, and it's just a few minutes away. And if you roll back down a little bit so you can see this, we have a lineup of speakers. Patrick Bitt-David himself will be giving you, you know, edification, you know, education and encouragement for your businesses. And we've got people that are going to be joining us that have some very interesting perspective on leadership. Tom Brady will be there interviewed by Patrick on stage talking about leadership. Tom Brady has a lot of experience with different teammates. He's won multiple championships and no two teams were the same. How do you keep winning in business even though maybe you go through salespeople or your senior execs change? How do you keep winning? Tom Brady has real life examples talking about that. Another sportsman, Mike Tyson, he is fun to listen to, but if you listen in there, you are also going to hear how he worked with great coaches and great trainers to get ready. And he loves to talk about always having a plan. And every fight always has a plan until you get hit in the mouth. And then you have to go to plan B. So within his career, he also has wonderful lessons I think are very applicable to entrepreneurs. And then the story of a guy I love, Will Gadara. Will Gadara helped build EMP, 11 Madison Park, in New York into the number one rated restaurant in the world. And he talks about how he did it through innovation, through building his team, and through perseverance. All of them are going to be there in addition to all of the uh, sessions and topics that will be taught from stage by Patrick. Get a ticket to the vault if you're not planning to go there. It is four days, no, excuse me, Two and a half days, excuse me, with four great leaders to absorb, absorb, absorb. And I think that's a great place to start, especially if there's a recession coming and you want to go to the gym and build some business muscles. We are that gym, uh, Valuetainment. And our premier flagship event is coming up August 30th to September 2nd, Diplomat Hotel, Hollywood, Florida, Fort Lauderdale Airport. So get from where you are to Fort Lauderdale Airport and connect with entrepreneurs just like you, leaders just like you, walking the same path, enduring the same challenges, getting through the same walls that you're trying to break through. Come sit shoulder to shoulder from them and absorb and walk away with a notebook full of your playbook to do better next year than this year, despite the recession and despite whatever the economy throws at you. Thank you for watching the BizDoc podcast. I'm Tom Ellsworth, the BizDoc, and I hope I lived you better than I found you.